This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Well, what do you think? I mean, I mean, it's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? I mean, if it stinks, it stinks. It smells bad for everybody. Smell bad for you? Yeah. I mean, what do you want me to do, make excuses for him? And, and let me ask the obvious question. Last week you said, obviously, Henry's still the starter. Is he still the starter? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As I said, we have two really good quarterbacks. We had a chance to win. We didn't get it done. We'll go back to work tomorrow, uh, and we'll go to fixing it. And that's what we're, we're going to do. A um, lot of football season left, whole heck of a lot of football season left. And i tell you what, I saw a bunch of fighters in that locker room, a bunch of friggin' fighters on the sideline. And uh, that's a football team that's going to continue to improve and get better. They're going to fight to improve and get better. I don't know how many games we're going to win, but I know we're going to fight. Quarterbacks are like dogs. I mean, if you throw them a treat, then they respond. You know, they'll – they get smiles on their face, their tails wag, and you know, and then uh, you know, and then pretty soon they'll they'll be a little more affectionate towards you as far as throwing the ball your direction. You see, and we played some pretty good teams and beat some pretty good teams. You know, so we're we're headed that direction. We got a long way to go, but tonight sure was nice. Oh, welcome in the latest episode of that. SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Breton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And Cousin Shane didn't show up. <laughs> no word from the big Tennessee homer, so I'm going solo. But don't worry, got a terrific show lined up for you. We just had some breaking news here in the SEC right before I hopped on the line. So, hey, I got I had to get this one out there. But before we get to the big news... Man, I, got, I have to share this. Whenever we can start with something funny, we try to do our best to do that. And we had ourselves a mad Nebraska fan. I think this guy's even in the media. I don't I don't know the backstory, but this is hilarious. Kind of reminded me of Cousin Shane leaving Neyland Stadium the other day. And just a warning, not safe for work on this one. Earmuffs if you're near any children on this one. But, you know, it's 30 to 23. Uh, my, ma- my mom, what a Freudian slip. My wife texted me, and she said, what's your plan? And honestly, uh, my plan is to walk in front of a fucking bus. Because the first half of this game for Nebraska, it was like eating a bucket of feedlot shit. You know, with the gravel and everything in it, it was a terrible first half. And then the second half, we came out, and we, we did like we did against Michigan. We started scoring points. We started moving the ball. And ultimately, it wasn't enough as we gave up that big run. I like the way that Minnesota mixes up their quarterbacks between Morgan and Kramer because Kramer, you know, makes you confused. You think he's going to keep the ball, and then, bam, he hands it off. He throws it. Uh, in the first half, I'll say this. Honest to God, in the first half, I'm not making this up. At one point, 
I thought, I'm just gonna go in, take my camera gear off, and, and quit all of this shit, because it's really hard to take. And I was just gonna take all my clothes off and leave the stadium. I probably wouldn't have got for and people would have gone, my God, nobody needs to see that. But again, does anybody need to see this shit anymore? We need to learn how to win games. One score games. I don't know. Look at them. They're all down there having fun, the motherfuckers. I guess, congratulations, you Minnesota goop bastards. Who thought this, this Nebraska team could score 38 points against Minnesota? Kind of a jackass would make that prediction. I thought Bowling Green, Minnesota, to show up. What the hell was I thinking? There's no hope. Fuck everything. Go Big Red. <laughs> All right, so how about it? I mean, that guy is fired up that uh, apparently Nebraska got whooped by Minnesota. Another bad loss for the Corn Huskers, but I just thought that was uh, too good not to share. But, hey, on with this show. And I wanted to start, this is the big breaking news we had right before we hopped on the line. But uh, five-star receiver Luther Burden from St. Louis has announced his commitment to the Missouri Tigers. Eli Drinkowitz gets the biggest win of his brief Missouri career, I would argue, on and off the field. They had to beat out Georgia for Luther Burden. They had to beat out Alabama. I think uh, was formerly committed to Oklahoma, I think. I think Ohio State was in on him, but this is a big-time get. Uh, Burden's the number six overall prospect in the country for the upcoming recruiting class. He's scheduled now to enroll early in January, so he's going to be there. And that's, I mean, this is kind of the biggest missing piece of the puzzle there in Eli Drinkowitz's system. It seems like he can churn out running backs regardless of who he's got to work with, even though I know they got some talented guys, but gets a ton of production out of those guys. Now they're missing big-time receivers. Well, they're getting one in Luther Burden, who's just been unstoppable this season uh, for, I believe he plays for East St. Louis High School, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, he says he's 100% locked in. This is a final decision. Again, plans to enroll here in January. And his commitment gives Missouri a top 15 class. They're currently number 14 in the uh, 2022 recruiting cycle which features a four-star quarterback, Sam Horn, from Georgia, uh, uh, several other four-star prospects. But this is going to be the jewel of the class. Luther Burden, five-star, formerly committed to Oklahoma. Drinkwitz swung this thing. And, you know, there was Georgia people thought they might get him. He was just down in Athens for the Kentucky game. They rolled out the red carpet for him. Yet, again, I mean, that just states how big of a win this is for the Missouri Tigers and why did Burden do it? He says he wants to start a trend. He wants more guys from St. Louis to stay closer to home, go to Missouri, believes in Eli Drinkowitz. And, man, these people asking the question. He, I don't know who it was, but someone in the media said, well, how, well, how committed are you? And this is literally moments after he committed. 100%, he says. So, hey, great news for the Missouri Tigers. They could sure could use it. I know things are not looking great right now on the field, but uh, after the Texas A&M game, that, this is the first thing Drinkowitz hit. We need to address recruiting. We need to get better, and right here, you just did it on a Tuesday. And how great is this? This is from the official Missouri football account. Let's kick it over to Eli Drinkowitz. 100% off. Shoot or shoot. 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 Shoot or sho
the Mizzou haters sure were hating that one, particularly down there in Athens after uh, Luther Burden says no to the mighty Georgia Bulldogs. But, hey, I think the Bulldogs will be okay. Number one team in the nation. They'll probably have the number one recruiting class in the country as well. But, hey, great news here for Missouri. And uh, you already were on, a, on pace to have the greatest recruiting class in program history now. I mean, as long as there's not a bunch of mass defections, and why would there be in year two of the Drinkwitz program? Uh, this is basically locking you up for uh, the greatest class in program history. So a great day for the Missouri Tigers. Right next, so uh, <laughs> just I don't have a lot of insight on uh, the Mississippi State Vanderbilt game. We'll get into that perhaps on the next episode, but we do have a really funny clip here from Mike Leach. He was asked about. <laughs> Stalin near the red zone having to kick a field goal. I just thought this was classic Leach, and, and this has basically been his mood all season long. Uh, on your second drive Saturday, after Alabama scored its first touchdown, you get down around the 25, have to kick a field goal. How much did not getting seven points end up mattering with respect to the outcome of that game? <clears throat> well, I don't, I don't know about the math. Probably uh, four points worth. <laughs> all right, so you can't top that. From Coach Leach, just went back and rewatched that Alabama game. It was rough, man. Will Rogers got hurt. He's still tough through it, but uh, you know several interceptions. He's getting harassed all day. Will Anderson got was named SEC Defensive Player of the Week, and for good reason because he was harassing the Mississippi State Bulldogs in that offensive line all night long. And maybe that's why Leach is in uh, the mood he was in here. Uh, but I just thought this was hilarious. I don't know who it was, but someone asked a question. He cut him off. He said, nah, you ain't asking questions. I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen that before, but uh, not sure what's going on down there in Starkville. But they are desperately needing a win here after uh, that disappointing defeat at the hands of Alabama. And they're going to have to do it in Nashville against the Commodore. So let's flip it over to the other side where Mike Wright got the start for Vanderbilt in their near win on the road against South Carolina last week. It sounds like, not sounds like it is, uh, Coach Lee came out here and said Mike Wright will will start once again. Not 100% sure Ken Seals is going to be good to go. He's banged up. I believe he's got a finger injury. But uh, here's Coach Lee talking about uh, the disappointment of you know, losing that game in the closing moments against South Carolina and an update on the team's quarterback situation. Listen, uh, at the end of the day, let's finish it with the ball in our hands. Let's find a way to get that first down. Let's get it to fourth and go and, and, and finish it that way. Um, and then certainly, you know, we're going to bet on our defense every time. We have to be better, but um, we'll improve from, from Saturday and will be better. Those exposures, those experiences create a situation where you move your team forward. And though it's painful, um, to me, it's the pain that that uh, that delivers you to um, an evolved version of self. And so we're going to get better from that and learn from it and grow. Um, Clark, you know, what is the status of Ken Seals this week? And, um, you know, how's that the quarterback situation looking this week? Well, we're going to, we're going to start Mike this weekend. Um, we feel like that's the right thing. Kenny's still healing up and we're still week to week with him, but, um, you know, we want to make sure that we have the best chance to get out in front in terms of planning and, and also for Mike to get settled in that role. Ken's got to heal and 
um, we're disappointed for Ken, although I'm, I'm so proud of him. Um, I'm so proud of the way that he competed on the sideline on Saturday, the way that he supported Mike. I think there's really, a, you know, that's an indicator of the, the kind of competitor, the kind of teammate that Kenny is. Um, just one of those things that it makes you proud as a coach to see. And so uh, what I know about Ken is he's going to work his way back to health. When he is, he'll be back out there for us. Uh, until then, I know he's going to give everything to this team, and, and we'll keep evaluating him as we move forward. All right, so the Commodore is going to continue to go with Mike Wright. And, you know, honestly, South Carolina, the best unit of their team, the defense, you know, for the most part, they controlled Vanderbilt and Mike Wright, but they had their moments. And having a mobile quarterback back there with a an offensive line that is an issue at the moment there in Nashville – it may even suit you better to have Mike, Mike right back there. Not saying he's necessarily a better quarterback than Ken Seals, but hell, if you can't protect a quarterback, what good is he? And Mike Wright adds a lot of dual threat ability to the offense, and that could suit them well going up against a very aggressive Mississippi State team, a team that uh, you know is licking its wounds after facing Alabama. So we got an interesting matchup here, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt's going to be Mike Wright and Mississippi State on the other end. They've got a banged-up quarterback. And the backup, Abram, no longer even the backup. Mike Leach says not participating with the team. He was the uh, transfer, the offseason transfer from Southern Miss. So interesting uh, kind of development down there. But, hey, moving on, we got other quarterback news. Let's hop on down to Columbia, South Carolina. Man, you hate to hear this one. The Gamecocks. Struggling, but hey, they got the win. I know Gamecock fans are pissed off. I got them dead last in the power rankings. I don't know. I just I think they're playing so poorly right now. But hey, let's give them credit. They're finding ways to win. They've they've got four overall wins, and that's a hell of a lot more than a lot of teams across the country. Well, the rebuild continues, but the rebuild just got a hell of a lot tougher because Luke Doty. Again, I know he didn't play that well. And Zeb Nolan came in here and saved the day. Maybe it would have been Zeb Nolan's job regardless. But Luke Doty out for the season. Shane Beamer announced here on Tuesday. Let's kick it over to Coach who talks about that and Luke Doty's reaction to the news. Uh, update on Luke. He, like I said the other night, he re-injured his foot. Uh, so we've we've met with some specialists here over the last couple of days. Uh, he will be done for the year. He's going to have surgery this week. Uh, it's the best thing for him uh, short term and long term is to get this thing healed up and uh, get him back. Uh, he, from talking to a lot of people in this program, I've been told before the Vanderbilt game that he is one of probably one and two, no disrespect to any other player, but one of the most, one of the toughest players to ever play here at Carolina, along with Connor Shaw. And uh, he showed that Saturday night. Appreciate his toughness and, and hate it for him. I uh, hate it for our football team, but he's in great spirits. Just talked to him before I came in here. He was out at practice today, but he's going to have surgery later this week, uh, get everything cleaned up and, and fixed uh, where he will be best, be better uh, long-term and, and able to come back. Um, and uh, like I said, that'll shut him down for the rest of the season. And, 
And uh, Zeb is our starting quarterback. Jason Brown, uh, Colton, and, and Connor Jordan are our other quarterbacks. And excited about the way those guys have continued to progress and get better throughout the season. So See, with Luke, how has he handled this great. situation? And kind of how, from a timeline standpoint, do you anticipate him back for spring, or is this something that might keep him out a while? Yeah, I think so. Uh, kind of trying to get through, get 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 all that figured out right now. First of all, he's in. He's in great spirits. After I talked to you guys uh, Saturday night after the game in the press conference, I went from Matt. Clint Haggard met me in the hall and, and told me that Luke had re-injured his foot. We weren't quite sure how serious it was uh, at that point, so I went into the training room. He was in there with his mom and dad and uh, had a chance to visit with him and you know, felt bad for him because I knew he had re-injured it. Didn't know how severe or long-term it would be, but you knew it was going to probably – uh, certainly affect his chances of playing against Texas A&M, and he's in there picking me up. You know, I was disappointed for him. And he was in great spirits, all part of God's plan, and and bumping the road, and and uh, I'll be great for it. And his dad, who's a who's awesome, just kept telling me great win, and uh, just what a fantastic family. He was at practice uh, Sunday night. He was in the offensive meeting this morning asking questions, you know, as we installed the base game plan for first and second down this morning. He's in the meeting and he's engaged like he's the starting quarterback this week, which I appreciate. And then he was out at practice uh, today. So he's in great spirits. Um, uh, I don't think it's anything that's going to affect him long term. Should be good to go, you know, go through a rehab process and we'll see uh, how the surgery goes for more of a long term thing, but don't anticipate it. Uh, at this point being anything that's going to affect him really long-term. All right, so again, you hate to hear this. It's going to be Zeb Nolan. Jason Brown is QB2 now down there in Columbia following this news. But again, maybe this doesn't kill you because Zeb Nolan came in and played so well against Vanderbilt. I don't know how prepared they were for Nolan, maybe more prepared for Luke Doty. But, you know, we'll see. I, I think more than anything – and. You're not looking this far ahead if you're Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks because you're you're just trying to get as many wins as you can this season to hopefully get to a bowl game. But this hurts you for next season is what I really think it does because now we're going to, you know, surely you can't bring back Zeb Nolan. I think this is his sixth and final year, and he's, he's only got it because of the COVID deal. So next spring we're going to have uh, an even more heated – quarterback competition, which I'm sure we would have had already, but you're going to have less knowledge, less film of uh, Luke Doty to know what he's got. Jason Brown, if he comes back, Colton Gutierrez, see what he's got. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like he's ready to see the field. So, you know, the battle will commence this offseason there in Columbia, but really hate it for Luke Doty. Again, I know he's not playing that well, but remember, this is a guy that Came into the program. South Carolina was desperate for help at receiver, and he's a four-star quarterback. I believe he was number six, seven dual-threat quarterback prospect in the country. And what does he do? He switches a receiver to help the team out. Then we have some quarterback issues. What does he do? He switches back to quarterback. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, through and through, he does what the team asks, and, and he doesn't think of himself. So you hate to lose any player, but particularly a guy that uh, is so team first like Luke Doty. Hope he makes a full recovery and, and can fight to win this job back heading into next season. And one other thing from Shane Beamer, I just thought this was great. Any opportunity someone <laughs> has to troll Hugh Freeze, I am going to highlight you on this show. And he was able to do that. It's kind of a long-winded question here, but he was asked about uh, the struggling 
offense and the play calling and all that. And Shane Beamer found a way to, at the end of this, troll Hugh Freeze here. So I, I love this. Shane, I know people probably like to use the word blame, so that's not the word I'm, I'm trying to use here. So I apologize if it seems like that. But when you look at the offense and you're trying to just figure out what what is it? What is it from holding back this offense in terms of making that progress that you guys want to see? And is it a, you know, is it not just from a coaching standpoint? Is it coaching, playing? Is it everything? And what have you been able to, to look at while watching the film the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, we've certainly got to be better. And we're seven weeks in. So it's no more of, you know, it's growing pains and things like that. I mean, we've got to have some continuity at quarterback. Uh, we've got to have continuity at the receiver position, running back position staying healthy, you know, and I know everybody wants me to sit up here and just say the play calling stinks and that's the issue. But, you know, the play calling on Saturday didn't cause us to fumble or turn the ball over four times. Uh, that play calling got us an ex some explosive plays down into the red zone that we therefore that we then uh, fumbled. You know, we turned we threw two interceptions. We uh, the play call uh, didn't force us to have holding penalties, you know, and things like that. So we all have a hand in it. Uh, and I'm, and that's not me blaming players. We've got to coach better. Uh, we've got to not put our players in position. But I think on Saturday, and, and every game, Mike, is different. You can look at blame and why we haven't operated as at a high level. And it's all of us, myself, down the the offensive staff, down to the offensive players. Um, and every game is different. But I'll look back at Saturday – I don't think there was a play calling issue. Now, it may not always look pretty, and I'm sure them. I don't know what the message boards are saying right now, but I'm sure they're like nuclear right now about bad play calls. Well, I don't know what play calls were necessarily bad. Help me out which ones were bad on Saturday. Uh, we've got to uh, be better fundamentally and technique-wise to not put ourselves in those positions. And, you know, Marshawn fumbled the football. Well, we – at the left, at, at, at the offensive tackle position, we, we, you know, crossed over and had not great footwork and got beat inside, and Marshawn had to cut it back, and then a fumble happens. Uh, poor ball security on a couple of fumbles. Um, uh, gave a, a big play to Jaheim, you know, that came back because of a holding penalty because we, we set a little too far on a pass set and got beat inside. I mean, just fundamental things that we can clean up, which goes back to us as coaches. But, I mean, that's been kind of the point of emphasis with our players this week is we've got to be better. Forget about schemes. You know, we've got to be better fundamentally, which is coaching. And, uh, and, and that's what we're, we're, trying, we're trying to do. But we've got to be better everywhere, offense, defense, and special teams. We missed tackles. Saturday. I don't think that was necessarily bad play calls by Clayton White. That was we got to coach up these guys better from a technique and fundamental standpoint to not miss tackles and give up explosive passes. And I don't mean that. I don't need fans now hitting me up on Twitter, giving me a list of all the bad play calls either from Saturday. Like, that was a figure of speech. So, please, I, I try not to look at the mentions, but as soon as I said that, I can see it coming right now. But you know what I'm saying. Well, that yeah. play call is going to have to get uh, better in a, in a hurry because they got Texas A&M this week. Let's jump it on Dame to College Station. and Giga Maggots. You know, we kind of highlighted on the last show just the fact that Jimbo committed to staying in College Station and the fact that I think for Jimbo, hell, I think he's got a better job than LSU for him personally. I know LSU fans take exception to that. I've seen other people get mad at me saying that, but it's not always – rating job A and job B. It, it just can't be that simple. There's so many factors.
and I think of it more, I'm saying for Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M, a better job. And maybe here's another example. Chip Kelly, much discussed. He Florida Gators went after him. He was the number one option there. But he chose UCLA. Is UCLA a better job than Florida? Hell no. But for Chip Kelly, it is because he don't want to be in the pressure cooker. He don't want to be in the SEC. He wanted to be on the West Coast. He wanted to be where it's more relaxed. He wanted to be where, what is this, his fourth year? I think it's the first time he's had a good team. I mean, and they're not trying to run him out the building. Imagine being in Gainesville. Hell, they're, I don't, I don't want to say they're going to run Dan Mullen out, but he went to uh, three top 10 finishes, three New Year's six bowls, and they're pissed off. So, hey, for Chip Kelly, UCLA is a better job. So, you know, you got to look at it, it through those lens. It's, uh, you know, it's a it's a situation-by-situation situation basis. It's a coach-by-coach coach basis. And Jimbo and them doing a great job there in College Station, despite uh, the slow start to the season. They really seem to be picking things up here. And another opportunity against South Carolina to continue that momentum. And a big factor – is getting that ground game going to help out Zach Calzada. The offensive line has really started to trend in the right direction, and that's something that Fisher hits on, talking about uh, Devon Achain and Isaiah Spiller and just what a dynamic combo they are and the fact that uh, in today's modern era of college football and SEC, you got to have multiple running backs back there. You cannot rely on one guy unless you've got uh, a Derrick Henry, and we all know, I mean, he's like a damn unicorn. They, they just not many of him laying around. Hi, Coach Fisher. Against Mizzou, Devon Achain and Isaiah Spiller combined for well over 200 rushing yards. How vital is that double running back threat to your <laughs> offense, and yes, how much of a threat does that make you all to other Well, teams? I mean, they're different, a little bit different, and, and to have two guys because, listen, you can't go play every play at running back, and you can't go carry it 35, 40 times. Now, they used to in this league. They used to in these days. used to hand it to them 25, 30, 35, 40 times a game. I mean, but, you know, it's just different now. And you've got to have the diversity and our younger guys developing even behind those guys because the wear and tear of this season, when you start running it like that, I think one had 20 carries and one had 16, if I'm not right in that game. Is that right? I mean, that's, that's – that's, and to be able to keep that balance and to go for a 12-game schedule throughout your year. And then plus we throw it to them a lot. You know what I mean? So – and they're blocking and picking up blitzes a lot. I mean, they're, they're vital. And having two guys – and also I think there's some really young guys behind them that I'm really excited about. You're starting to see some of those guys get in that I feel, you know, may, you know I think are starting to get ready to play. And I would probably feel – you know, you don't want to not – I mean, you don't want those guys to play, but I would feel comfortable, you know, getting some of those guys some reps in the near future too. But it's critical. And you can't have enough backs because this league is physical, man. I mean, it is a physical league, and you got to have multiple backs. All right, the other uh, – you know, the big matchup here – in the SEC this week, LSU at Ole Miss. Aditari, Ole Miss. They're throwing out uh, the full parade here for the Manning family. If you miss it, I'll throw it up here on the screen on the YouTube channel. But Ole Miss is painted the end zones, doing Manning. Uh-oh. Because they're doing uh, Eli Manning's. They're retiring his, his number during this game. They're hosting Arch Manning, five-star quarterback, uh-oh, how convenient. While he's in the stadium, it says Manning. But, hey, it's all part of the master plan down there to be sure. And, uh, you know, you got to assume that uh, Ole Miss is going to try to make this the biggest blowout they possibly can, given the fact that it's going to be Honor Eli Day. We got Matt Corral. He needs, he needs some big games here. You know, he may already be the Heisman frontrunner, but – you know, he needs him a multiple touchdown, 400-yard day type performance to keep that momentum going. Potentially, 
get a little bit closer to locking that thing up. And LSU, you know, for all, say what you want about them, uh, they have apparently righted the ship. I know it's just one week here, but they made quick work of the Florida Gators and particularly that run defense. And last time I checked, I think Florida's got a better defense than Ole Miss. So, you know, give Ole Miss uh, LSU a fighting chance against this Ole Miss defense. Certainly the uh, more consistent team this season has been Ole Miss. So, uh, you know, some pressure here, certainly on Lane Kiffin and company to make quick work of uh, Coach O and the LSU Tigers who have been floundering for much of the season. And now it's Eli Manning Day. It's Arch Manning Day. So, hey, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how that plays out and and if uh, Ole Miss can continue the hot streak or, you know, what they've just played a 100 plays against Tennessee in such a, a grueling and emotional game, does that take anything out of them this week? I don't know. It remains to be seen. But, you know, there are a lot of factors going into this one. This is a rivalry game that LSU has dominated for years and years. Can Ole Miss flip that script this weekend? It's got to be this weekend. Otherwise, I don't know. Imagine LSU hires the right coach. I'm out here saying they should hire Lane Kiffin. Maybe this is an audition. Scott Woodward's going to be at the game. You better believe he's going to be studying up Lane Kiffin, how he acts in this game and the offense and all that. So a lot, a lot of storylines heading into this matchup for the SEC on CBS Game of the Week. Cannot wait for this one. This is the best game on the calendar in the SEC this weekend. But speaking of that, Coach O, haven't really got to much of his comments other than uh, calling the Matt Corral injury news some BS. So let's kick it over to Coach. Talking about uh, the improvements on the offensive line on uh, meeting Lane Kiffin. Gives a little background on that. I thought these comments were really good. And interesting, any less pressure perhaps on the LSU Tigers now that they know the fate of Coach O. And uh, we've sort of gone over it a lot, I guess, but like the, the offensive line, I mean, you call it you know, the most improved position group. Just how has this changed really so fast? Well, I, I, I think you're, you're seeing it, Wilson, as fast, okay? But I've seen it um, in practice in little increments. And it's ever since Coach Davis has come, and I know what he's trying to teach him, and I know the difference between him and Coach Craig. I can notice a difference, and it just took a little while for our guys to get used to. But I, I, know, I know what you're saying, that, that, that we, now we're running the ball much at a, a much better pace right now. But I've seen little increments in practice. Like it's a bump combo, the guys are getting off the ball and attacking guys off of the football. And now he's put it all together. And finally, we're all healthy. I think you're seeing a combination of, I think Coach is a great coach, and we got some good players believing in his scheme, and they're healthy. Do you remember when you first met Lane Kiffin um, in your career? And yeah. how was your relationship with him evolved from yeah. being a co-worker to your boss and now, I guess, arrival on the field? I remember I'm with uh, – Pete Carroll, and he asked me a question. He says, Eddie, I can hire a, an older, experienced coach or I can hire a young, go-getter coach that I think can help us in recruiting. I said, well, why don't we get a guy that can help us in recruiting? And it was Lane Kiffin. Uh, he was a young coach in Colorado State with Sonny Lubick, I do believe, which was Monty Kiffin's son. And Monty and Lane are best friends. And I remember sitting in the uh, sitting in the um, recruiting um, meeting. I was a recruiting coordinator. And we were um, evaluating some talent. And I liked the guy, and Lane didn't. <laughs> and, and you know what? He was right. And uh, he, he earned my respect. He earned my respect from day one. 
Elaine and I became very close, me being the recruiting coordinator. He was our out-of-state recruiter. He brought in some tremendous – in fact, he taught us how to recruit out-of-state at USC. He brought in a lot of number one draft picks. He recruited uh, every every day he could. He was on the road seven days a week, working from Florida to New York. I think the guy's a tireless recruiter. He's a great recruiter, and he's a great evaluator of talent. Uh, how do you motivate – the guys over the last stretch of the season when they know that you're not going to be here? Well, uh, first of all, I've been an interim coach already. And uh, so I, I feel that I think the pressure's been let out, uh, uh, let out the tank. I think everybody was hearing all the stuff now. Now it's done. Now we can just go out and concentrate on football and play football. I think we're going to play a lot freer. I think that we're going to have some great practices. Our guys want to beat Ole Miss. Our guys like winning, so there's a lot of young players mixed in with some old players. So I, I think that we're going to practice very well, and we know that uh, Ole Miss presents a challenge. Everybody sees it on TV. Everybody sees the offense. So we're going to step up to the plate as a challenge. And on that last one, I mean, I think he, you know, he might be onto something here. Not necessarily the players. I don't know how much pressure they had on him, but you know they had to constantly hear about Coach O and his job security and fans wanting him out. And hell, I know LSU people that were rooting against the Tigers the last couple of weeks because they want to see Coach O gone because they want to see the program headed in the right direction. So now you're seeing a lot of these people come around and say, "Well, hell, this is a Louisiana guy he delivered us a championship." You know, let's send him out on the right note. So I think the vibe is certainly a lot better here in Baton Rouge. Of course, that helps when you beat a rival in Florida. So you got to continue that to keep that thing going. But just consider all the momentum LSU could possibly have if they find a way to go back-to-back weekends, pulling up upsets in the SEC, this time on the road. Of course, uh, Coach O used to coach down there in in Oxford, so maybe even a little bit more, just a little fu from Coach O to uh, the Ole Miss uh, <laughs> program there. Who knows? But uh, again, cannot wait to see this one. All right, let's skip it on down next to Rocky Top. Real quick, I was waiting for uh, Cousin Shane to to preview the Tennessee Alabama matchup. Maybe we'll get to do that on the next episode if he shows up. But uh, I just thought these comments from. Uh, Theo Jackson, one of the uh, senior defenders there from the Volunteers. You know, this is a guy that uh, for years and years played under Jeremy Pruitt, but he never really made much of an impact. Yet this year, he's been one of the better players on the entire team. And I think, uh, you know, one of the top defenders in the SEC, I don't think that's too bold to say. He really provided a good window into uh, what's going on there on Rocky Top, on the leadership that is being displayed by these players. I think that's far more important than uh, seeing it from the coaches because the coaches can only do so much. It's got to be a player-led thing, and it seems like we're starting to to get that. The culture is being changed, according to Theo Jackson. And, you know, I I really like this last comment he has on, on the difference being coached from you know, he doesn't call out Jeremy Pruitt here, but clearly he's calling him out comparing to how things are running there under Josh Heupel. I think Tennessee fans will really appreciate these comments. Confidence you guys gaining, you know, each game, each week as, as a defense overall? Oh, we're gaining so much confidence. Uh, I mean, with just film study, because, I mean, th- this whole year, like, this is the most film I've, like, seen other players watch. Like, cause every day, like a different DB is his hit hitting our phone. Come on, let let's let let's go upstairs and we'll watch film. Like, 
I've never really seen that. So it's kind of like surprising to me. But it's also like encouraging to know that like we kind of changed the culture here. And it's, it's just like, you know, exciting to, to you know, to be, be a part of. Theo, Tyler Barron spoke earlier this year about, um, you know, how you guys are just playing harder this year. And with that and, you know, guys wanting to, to get in the film room more, what do you think it is about this culture change that, that makes guys just lean in more and, and want to get better in those ways? Uh, I feel like that's like a credit to like the leadership because, uh, I mean, we take, you know, so much heart in, in this team and like we just try to pour our souls out to it, to our team, like just, just giving our all every day. And then I feel like the younger guys are seeing that and then they're starting to do the same thing that we're doing. So I just feel like the leadership has been a big, a big, big impact on that. Some, some coaching staffs are harder verbally on guys, for better or worse. Others are sort of a lighter touch, more teaching, less yelling. Mm -hmm. Where does this coaching staff come down in that range, and how has that fit y'all's personality? Uh, I mean, when Coach Hype first got here, his his thing was like positivity. So when he so he wanted so. Is really more teaching and less like you know screaming and yelling. So I think everybody responded well to that because they don't want to you know they don't want to go be somewhere where they're getting cussed out every every other day. You know what I'm saying? So it's really just like just slowing everything down and actually teaching them, and then them having and then them under understanding it better. And these kind of echo, you know, comments we've seen from Sam Pittman and why those players bust their ass for for Coach Pittman. We're seeing the same at Tennessee. We're, there's a thin team. There's adversity. Yet they continue to fight. They continue to you know put out the best football. I think Tennessee's seen in a couple of years. I mean, who would have saw this coming? So, hey, it certainly looks like things are trending in the right direction for Tennessee, and it's because of players like Theo Jackson and I'm sure Alante Taylor and Matthew Butler and guys like this on that defensive side of the ball. You know, really stepping up their leadership and setting the tone that, uh, like. Jackson says here the younger guys are taking note of and hopefully they'll carry that on uh, for years to come because that's the only way Tennessee football is going to get any better all right last thing here let's uh, skip it on down to Athens I know the Bulldogs are on a bye week this week but the nation's number one team still hoping to get some guys back from injury and how remarkable that they're playing so dominant, yet they've got so many star players, including George Pickens and JT Daniels, sidelined for much of the season, if not all, in the case of George Pickens and Arik Gilbert. Uh, so Kirby was uh, met with the media here on Tuesday, gave an update on JT Daniels, gave an update on George Pickens, Arik Gilbert, and hey, what do you know, Scott Cochran, he's back in the fold. So all that Kirby touches on here. Kirby, yeah, go ahead. quarterbacks. I was going to say, yeah, JT has uh, been able to his his pitch count has kind of increased. He got up to uh, maybe 65, 70 throws yesterday with Ron, uh, pain free, uh, increasing distance, getting out further and further. I think he had around 40 or 45 yards. Um, hopefully, I'll know more today because we didn't we didn't really practice yesterday. We, we we threw him. He got to throw, but we didn't practice. We did a walk through cleanup. Um, kind of deal, and we'll, we'll know more today because he's hopefully going to get some um, quality reps and, and see what kind of velocity he's got. I want to ask about Scott Cochran. Is he back with the program, and, and what's his role now? And then I also wanted to ask about Arik Gilbert, how he's doing, and if there's any chance he'll be back uh, this season. Yeah, well, Scott, he's back with us uh, officially and um, working with us. He's going to be uh, assisting the special teams 
staff and helping contribute uh, to those guys in an all-field role for the rest of the season. And happy to have him back and uh, ho hopefully going to keep him safe and healthy throughout that process and, and during his recovery process. But we're glad to have his energy and enthusiasm back, um, and he'll help us on a kind of a off-the-field role there with special teams. And then Reek is not back. Uh, he's still continuing his journey and hopefully going to get back. We're um, com communicating with him, and everybody's pulling for him. But I, I don't know the answer to, to when or if uh, he'll be back. Kirby, I wanted to uh, ask kind of a little bit more about George. Uh, I know you have said you don't have a timeline, and but you did kind of rule him out earlier on, but I think it was this time last week for the Kentucky game. Would you be able to do that for the Florida game? Could you say that he's definitely not going to play against Florida, or is it just like a day-by-day -day deal? Oh, there's a long-term plan there, but, I mean, I don't disclose timelines on that kind of stuff. I mean, probably the week of the game we'd know more, but – um, I mean, we did a walkthrough yesterday, and he was able to do that and, and, and get signals and get calls. And, you know, he's he's done a tremendous job of working in recovery. But, you know, Dr. Andrews, Ron Corson, myself, George's parents have all been involved in that conversation and not something that we're open to share. I'm just uh, very hopeful that he's able to get back 100%. That's our concern. All right, so the Bulldogs, hey, look to be potentially – potentially getting some reinforcements for the Florida game. And, hey, don't roll your eyes, Bulldog fans. You may need it because if I had to guess, you know, based on what we saw last week between Florida and LSU, Anthony Richardson likely going to be the starting quarterback for the Gators. And he'll have two weeks to prepare. So maybe this is what Dan Mullen's been waiting for all along to, you know, have this ability to, to have multiple weeks to get Anthony Richardson ready for the game. And if Anthony Richardson plays mistake-free football, which, of course, he didn't do last week against LSU, but if he can, he lives up to his massive potential, doesn't make any mistakes that kill the Gators, you know, perhaps they make things interesting with the Georgia Bulldogs. I'm Hell, I'm not sitting here, I'm not trying to blow smoke because, you know, I've been saying all season I think Georgia's number one and they, they deserve that billing. But this may be, you know, a lot tougher challenge than uh, most are anticipating if Anthony Richardson is the guy and if he can play mistake-free mistake football. Georgia may need George Pickens in that game. Let's see. Let's let's hope he's there. JT Daniels, maybe? Who knows? Uh, it may be a little bit longer before they uh, see JT Daniels and George Pickens in the lineup, but great to hear that they are uh, making progress towards seeing the field again for them Bulldogs. All right, so that's going to do it for today's show. Apologize that Shane was uh, unable to join the show. I don't know what happened with that, but uh, hopefully he will be back on the next episode. But uh, I appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. We'll catch you on the next one.